Hi, and welcome to the Lone Star Play podcast, where we sit, eat, chat, and repeat. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong, and we are coming to you from Austin, Texas. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for local restaurants, stores, butchers, farmers markets, and more who are using organic, fresh, artisanal, and local sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on this very special podcast episode. Um, We have Chris Harrison in the house. Yes, that Chris Harrison from The Bachelor, okay? The Bachelor franchise, The Bachelorette, Bachelor Paradise. There's all kinds of Bachelors. Um, you know, great show, super popular, been around since the spring of 2002, and Chris Harrison has hosted every single episode. So almost 20 years, uh, quite amazing. Uh, but what's great about Chris is, you know, he was born in Dallas from Dallas. So that's why we're having him on. He's from Texas, Texas boy, doing great in the world, really, really happy for him. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk to him about food, right? What do they eat on The Bachelor? That, that sort of thing. We're also going to talk about him, him personally, Chris, what, what sort of, you know, food does he eat and what does he get into? And, um, you know, does he go to farmer's markets and what does he think about, um, you know, what Texas is doing with real food? Um, so yeah, we're going to talk to him about that. The Bachelor, what's coming up next? How is The Bachelor going to change moving forward with, you know, the pandemic and everything that's happening? Um, you know, it's going to be really curious to see how they film these shows, probably any show or movie. I mean, right. Every industry is just, um, you know, been put on alert. Right. So they've all got to pivot or adapt to what's happened. So, yeah, we're just going to talk to Chris about that food, the bachelor himself um, and his early career. Just kind of get into it with Chris and maybe learn a little bit more about him. Um, I found it interesting. I went online and try to do some research on them and there is a lot of information on them there's tons of interviews of course uh, but one thing I did notice is there's really no interviews with just getting to know Chris Harris so and not just what he does on The Bachelor so we're going to get to you know get to know Chris um, a little bit better so really want to thank Chris uh, for coming on and very excited to have him so sit back enjoy the episode hopefully you learned something new about The Bachelor I'll do my best guys to get um you know to give us some juicy info. All right, enjoy the episode. How's it going? Great, sir. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Good morning. Good happy morning. Memorial Day. Yeah, happy Memorial Day, sir. I love that hat, by the way. Good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Texas. There we go, brother. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to come talk to us and our listeners and our viewers. We're really excited to talk to you today. You bet. Where are you coming from this morning? I'm in Austin. Okay. Yeah, I'm in Austin. Where are you at today? Are you, I'm assuming you're not in Dallas. Los Angeles, yeah. Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. Yeah, so um, I kind of want to talk to you about your Texas connection. You were born in Dallas, uh, which is where I grew up actually too, um, really? in, the, in the HEB area um specifically so yeah you were born in dallas and you know what, what was that like growing up in texas uh for you um i mean te- i always say dallas is a great place to be from especially when i grew up it was you know 70s 80s so you know it was the city was blowing up it was really growing um kind of finding itself 
it was I, it was a great time to be around Dallas. I think it changed a little bit late '90s into the 2000s, where it was kind of trying to identify itself and figure out is it going to be the next LA, and it was this weird transitional phase where all of a sudden these great bars and restaurants I had been going to in the 80s and 90s all of a sudden put up the velvet rope and started charging $20 to get in and it lost <laughs> a little bit of that great vibe that well Austin for example has and uh, but I think it's come back finally uh, there was a weird time where it went through this identity crisis but I think Dallas is actually back but when I was growing up there it really was this um, big city but a very small town as I like to say. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to put it. And, and actually, that's how people describe Austin to this day, right? It's just a big well, city, small town. Austin somehow. Not, I, I've been all over Texas. I have family everywhere. Austin's been able to keep that, and it has exploded and obviously blown up. And a lot of us idiots from California are trying to escape, <laughs> and they're coming. Keep it the south. There as possible, but um, it still remains. And it's, it's still kept its identity. And I don't know if it's the University of Texas and all those college students that have helped, if it's the music, if it's just, you know, the old school vibe around there, but it's, it's somehow kept its identity. And Houston lost it, Dallas lost it, and these cities have had to kind of reinvent themselves. But Austin's kind of remained cool, I guess. Yeah, that's a that's actually, you know, that's actually a conversation that's uh, happening right now um, because of Tesla and some other companies that are talking about moving to Texas. So, there's just a lot of murmur around here that they don't want anybody uh, to come from California, which is kind of crazy to be. Um, I'm all about welcoming people uh, from wherever. I've lived in a lot of different places uh, around the around the world myself. So, I, I you know anybody, I bring them. I, it doesn't bother me at all. But it's kind of a crazy uh, conversation. To have. How do you feel about that? Well, it's you know one of the cool things about Austin has always been it is the weird melting pot where old school Texas conservatives and obviously the hippies and, and liberals can, can kind of blend and, you know, share the same bar and drink, drink the same beer. Um, so it's always been that place. It's always been the weird melting pot of Texas. Um, obviously there's crazy German roots around there from years ago. And so it's always been that place. And, and, you know, whether the Californians are invading or, or whoever's moving in, you know, whatever day it is, you you want that influx. Uh, I know we're calling it the Silicon Valley. That's still an in, influx of cash. It's jobs. It's, you know, and people see the tax benefits. I, you know, I hope to move back home someday uh, in the next couple of years when my kids are out of high school. And Austin is definitely number one on the list with Dallas and just right there of where I want to settle down and, you know, spend the rest of my days. I always knew I would come home to Texas eventually. Um, and luckily with my job, I can kind of do it from wherever because I travel a lot. Yeah, that's, you know, your job. Let's talk about that. I love how you just say your job. Your job is like one of the most, you know, craziest things uh, to do, you know, in this country. It's crazy. You host an amazing show, right? You, you're, you're in the homes of so many Americans. It's, uh, it's got to be a great feeling. Um, you've been doing the show since spring of 2002. Do I have that right? That's right. 18 years. Wow. How great. Did you, I mean, I'm assuming you never imagined that it would go that long. Um, but you know, how, first of all, how did you even get into hosting The Bachelor? Well, when I left Dallas, uh, I graduated. Uh, I went to Lake Highlands, and when I graduated from Lake Highlands High School in Dallas, I, I went to Oklahoma City University to play soccer. So I was in Oklahoma City for quite some time. And when I graduated, I started as a sportscaster there, and was a sportscaster for years. And, and you know, the natural transition from being soccer player and all that in sports. And I really wanted to just move back home to Dallas and be a sportscaster and 
you know, cover my Cowboys and Rangers and live happily ever after. And lo and behold, this opportunity came up to move to LA and I took, took a flyer and just said, you know what, I can always come back home. I had never been to California. Um, we didn't have any money growing up in Dallas. So I didn't travel much at all. And so, you know, I'll never forget my first plane ride. I think it was, I was like 14 years old and my parents put me on Baranoff out of Love Field to, to Houston just to see what it was like to fly. Um, and I just flew down there and back um, and just to, just so I could tell my friends I had been on an airplane before, before I turned 16 for crying out loud. But it was um, such a great opportunity when The Bachelor came around in 2002. And like you said, nobody can tell you that they have a hit on their hands. If they do, they're either ignorant or lying or both. Um, you just don't know. And, and even when the show was big in 2002, 2003, 2004, who's to say it's going to be huge in 2020? I mean, that's, yeah. that doesn't happen in television. Yep. Yeah. And it's been massive, you know, um, do you, I mean, obviously you guys have uh, branched out and done, you know, the different shows, the bachelorette bachelor paradise. Um, do you think social media and because, you know, when that started in 2002, there really was no, there was no social media. So that must've helped right to Twitters and the Instagrams and the Facebooks. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, yes and no. Uh, the show was obviously huge without it. Um, I think more than anything, whether it's big because of it, you just had to adapt to it. And bizarrely, we created a show before this ever existed that is socially relevant. It's perfect for now, yeah. except we created it back in you know, 2000, <laughs> 2001, when we couldn't have possibly known what we were doing. But what I mean by that is it's you know, the shows that drive um, conversation, community you have to talk about it like it's a sporting event you have to tweet and talk about the bachelor on monday night or tuesday morning or you're out of the conversation you're out of that zeitgeist thing. so <laughs> yeah. we created that before it ever existed and so it's amazing now i'll sit in these pitch meetings and there's always these catchphrases in these in these meetings from executives of like you know how do we make something viral and how do we make it i said well first of all when a bunch of you know old executives say how do we make something cool it's immediately not cool that's how that works <laughs> Um, you know, it's just, it's amazing. And so everybody has been killing themselves over the last five to 10 years of how do we make something viral? How do we make it a social media, you know, phenomenon? And you can't, the Kardashians didn't mean to become social media icons. They did. And, and same thing with the bachelor things either do or they don't. Yes. You can do certain things to push it, but it either catches fire or it doesn't. And, uh, the more you try to push things and make it viral, the more it doesn't work. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So you're basically saying don't force it. You're, you're basically saying just get, you know, get the right contestants. We get the right bachelor or bachelorette and just go from there, right? It just sort of unfolds. Yeah. Well, and you got to look, you know, to your point, when we started in 2002, say our first bachelorette, Trista, um, you know, she is not the same as Hannah B. Yeah. And if we had just, <laughs> if we had just been following Trista, you would have a 40 something year old mom who lives in Vail. I love Trista, but is that interesting to kids in high school and college? Probably not. But what is interesting is Colton and Hannah and Peter. And so the show has regenerated and refreshes itself with this generation, um, which is interesting. So we pick up new fans, but we haven't lost our old fans either. Wow, that's incredible. And I bet some of these new right Bachelor Bachelorettes, they were just kids when the, the Bachelor came out. So that's got to be interesting. You know, they're fans of it. Now they're on the show. 
Um, you know, I had a quick question about this because I did a lot of research on over the weekend watching, you know, old episodes and stuff with yourself as well. Um, I'm curious if y'all ever plan on having, and I'm sure you do, you know, a chef on as a bachelor or bachelorette. I would love that. Yeah, we've never had a legit chef. Um, you know, would it be a, you know, Jamie Oliver, you know, Bobby Flay type celebrity yeah. chef? I don't know if we could go that high, but like just a really good chef who owns his own place, owns his own restaurant. We've had restaurant tours, bar owners, you know, like Brad Womack from Austin, Texas is, you know, kind of one of our famous bachelors, but we've never, yeah, never had like a crazy good chef. And I'm such a foodie and such a wino. I would love to have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. I, I can only imagine. Um, yeah. I mean, look, you, you know, you watch Top Chef. That's a really good show to, to learn about a lot of different chefs all over the country who are running their own operations. Um, you know, and, it's and definitely my uh, guilty pleasure. I love right? cooking shows. I love all that stuff. One of the greatest, like, little side gigs I ever had, I've gotten to do some fun stuff, was be a judge on Iron Chef America. Oh, uh, and it was, and it was a, uh, a special Christmas edition. So unfortunately they play it all the time during Christmas. <laughs> I have the, my, my scarf on, it's this ridiculous <laughs> outfit. Um, but it was Chef Morimoto going against uh, Chef Bobby Flay. And uh, so it was Iron Chef against Iron Chef. Yeah. That day, and it was awesome. That's you amazing. Really, by the way, you really do, they really do have to cook the time and you really do eat the food as you know, they have 60 minutes to do it and then they shut it down and then they feed you and it's awesome. Oh, wow. So it is exactly like, like they're saying it. Wow. That's, can you imagine the time crunch? I mean, you look, chefs are already, I, I'm a chef myself. I've been in the industry for a long time. Like okay. you, you, you learn the pressure, you learn the time. Honestly, it's not even that big a deal. Like, like that's why I love that show because you see, you know, Bobby, especially like he's just in it. He just loves it. Yeah. He's in it. He loves that pressure. What those guys live for. They live um, for that. Absolutely. One of the coolest moments. So, you know, again, this was a special edition. So they also had to incorporate an ice sculpture and all this other stuff. And Chef Morimoto created out of this ice block a a smoker and he smoked some raw fish. And Bobby, I'll never forget Bobby Flay walked over and looked at it and was like, this thing's over. Like, I'm done. Like, and so it's just funny. You, know, you look at like the Michael Jordans of the world. It's funny to see like the greatest in the world have respect for each other. And they're like, oh man, this guy just dusted me. He just dusted me. Absolutely. Well, look, they know, right? They know. And honestly, you're proud of that. You, you're proud of somebody oh, yeah. shows you something you didn't know was possible. I think that's what it is. It's about one-upping. Uh, I actually worked for Stephen Piles, who's from Dallas there. He actually trained Bobby Flay in the very beginning of his uh, career. So I have a small connection to that. Um, for him. Who, who becomes commercial and how these guys can come become yeah. commercial now. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And, and, and the, you know, the, the way they've been able to expand. You know, growing up in Dallas, I was very aware when I was younger of the chain restaurant mold that was being created. And it really started in the 70s and 80s. And for the most part, started around whether it was Chili's, I grew up with the original Chili's by you know, Mark. I would go play my soccer games as a kid. Did you go across the street to the original Chili's on Greenville? Yeah. And then I never forget when it was knocked down, moved back 100 yards, and then they built the first actual Chili's. And you're like, oh, and then you started seeing them around. And even as a kid, I go, oh, I, I see what's happening in Macaroni <laughs> Grill and all these other things that came out of Texas. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, then that broke down. And now we actually have the chef movement of these real good chefs that are doing some incredible stuff, especially in Texas, where you have this bizarre mix of, of barbecue and 
all these different kind of worlds coming together. Um, I think it's even better and more interesting than LA. LA wow. got really, LA, well, LA got really bland for a while. And we were even taken off the Michelin list for a while where they wouldn't even rate LA because it was just so boring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but now we finally have this, which is crazy because we have Koreatown, Chinatown, little, I mean, you have every nationality here in LA. I don't know why. And, and a lot of Latinos and you have this Baja Mexico vibe going with uh, Mediterranean food and fish. So I don't know why it got bland and boring for a while, but Texas has always had this great culture to it where it is this good blend and the food's always been there. Absolutely. They just added Texas to the James Beard um, Awards. It has its own category. Actually, California does too now. Uh, but Texas as itself, because yeah, look, the best chefs come out of Texas. I'm just going to say that I'm biased, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's the true Austin, Houston, Dallas. I mean, it's just uh, San Antonio. I hate to leave that out. And even El Paso. Um, and there's just really some amazing chefs, like you said. You know, this whole farm too, does get overlooked right? a lot. San Antonio, yeah. get, it gets overlooked a lot. Why, why do you think that is? Is it just because it's like hidden in the so, Austin bubble? I think it, it was such, it was known, especially for me growing up, it was such a touristy town. Yeah. Um, it was known as the place you went to go see the missions, go yeah. see the Alamo, go to the river walk. It was, it wasn't, um, it wasn't given its due. And there was, I mean, I remember as a kid, we would go in and there was this, I forget the name of the place. We'd go eat Cabrito. Uh, down there, my dad would always get the goat there, and it's like yeah. these the, the, the legit Mexican. Obviously, you can get Tex Mex anywhere, but you know, down in San Antonio, you could get easily the best legit Mexican food. Um, I haven't been there in a while, as far as like see to see what the restaurant scene has been as much as I have in Austin and Dallas and Houston. Sure, um, but yeah, it's, it's funny how San Antonio does get overlooked, and the culture there is phenomenal. Clearly. Absolutely, it's actually growing. To be honest with you, right now on the east side of san antonio they're starting to build it out sort of like they did in uptown and dallas and even the domain part of austin so they're they're trying to do that you know new buildings new new things um we'll see hopefully it'll it'll carry around i went out there a couple months ago to a new brewery and it was absolutely fabulous and just to see the stuff that they're uh, you know, building and, and whatever. So yeah, maybe that'll, that'll change here in the coming months. I mean, look, there's just a lot like of great you. cities, I, you know, I have, toes, I have my toes in the business cause I, I'm part owner of a, uh, a brewery in Dallas, uh, steam theory brewing and, and it's oh, Trinity wow. Groves, kind of a hip part of Dallas, just across the bridge there from downtown. Yeah. And, and, uh, we've been going for a couple of years, obviously things are a little tight and tough right now, but, uh, you know, we are a working brewery. We have, you know, there's such a beer, you know, vibe in Dallas and, and it's the people are so passionate about it. We have this amazing award-winning brewmaster and we have like what, 22 beers on tap, great food, great kitchen, um, solid chef doing some interesting stuff, you know, not just brew pub, actually taking our, our food to a good level where you get a really solid creative meal. That's awesome. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I didn't know about the, the brewery. I didn't, I didn't see that in my research. That's amazing. Yeah. That's gotta be a great um, thing to be a part of. Uh, yeah. You know, craft brew, that's another thing to talk about. Craft breweries have exploded uh, in the past 10 years. And you said you, you enjoy wine. Same thing with wine. What do you think about Texas wine now? That's a good question. How has you know, that it changed? Is, it, it, I mean, God, we'll talk about change. It's gone from zero to a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> You know, look, it's not it's not Napa Valley or even Walla Walla Valley yet, but sure. you know there are you know it makes total sense when you get outside of Austin, Georgetown, and, and down towards San Antonio. I mean, the hill country, it might as well be Napa Valley. It looks just like it. You know, you don't have the 
the breezes coming in from the ocean though and then the cooling sensation a lot of the sure. stuff that you do get in napa and some of the great places off the oregon coast and washington so it's not the same vibe you have the same soil a lot of the same nutrients and all that but um i've had some decent texas wines i haven't had anything that's blown me away yet it still hasn't quite found its footing uh in, in the grand scheme of things but you know what they could do now with horticulture and everything else you know i think people are going to figure it out yeah, um, but it's yeah, it's really interesting. I, I love the fact that 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 outside Austin, you can go visit a bunch of vineyards now. Absolutely, I'm I'm in a lucky spot. I really love Austin and living in this uh, part of the state because you know you head out west a little bit and you're in the hill country, like you were talking about. You know where you can trial these wines. I will say there's one good uh, vineyard that I that I do like. Um, uh, it's called Dukeman Winery. They they do serve some really uh, amazing wines that would just blow you away again you just really? won't even think they're from tech yeah dukeman winery they're amazing um you know it's something with even uh liquor right is, like whiskey all that's taken yeah. off is there a particular varietal that, that that is working there is it the syrahs is it what what's working what grape is actually working the best uh grape that grows in texas is tempranillo that that's just hand, hands down just because of the climate and it's very similar to southern spain. parts of spain yeah i lived yeah. in spain for many years i actually lived in andalusia granada uh, where where you know some of those grapes are grown um yeah it's the tempranillo but they figured out a way like you were mentioning syrah um cabernet uh, merlot even and even some other grapes honestly i never even heard of and I thought I knew a lot of grapes, but apparently there's, there's thousands of grapes. So there's really no way to know all of them. Uh, but yeah, I, I had no, you know, so I, when I started the bachelor, I didn't, I wasn't a big wine guy at all. Didn't know. I mean, I knew there was white wine and red wine. And yeah. we, we had this bachelor, Andrew Firestone, uh, just a few yeah. years in. And, and Andrew Firestone clearly had the Firestone wine label. And um, we, we just spent a bunch of time together, became really good friends. And I started going up to San Inez, which is only about an hour away from where I live. And we would go to his vineyard and he, he and his dad and his brothers, like they, they taught me this world. And, it, and I just, it's such a beautiful, romantic, amazing thing, the great process and growing. Yeah. And you, I yeah. couldn't help but fall in love with it. And so that's, that was how I kind of got my love of wine and it took off from there. And thankfully I do get to travel the world kind of like you have because of this show, you know, I've shot in the Stellenbosch region. We've been to Portugal. Wow. We've been to Spain. We've been to Italy and France and um, Australia, New Zealand. So all these places now are wine industry, wine country. And so, yeah. you know, I've had the ability to drink and taste all around the world. And um, I, I absolutely love that part of the show is being able to travel, eat and drink my way around the world. <laughs> Boy, that's amazing. You know what, Chris? You could do like a little side gig, get a little camera crew, you know, Chris on location, trying different stuff. I would watch that. That'd be great. We've talked about that. We have actually talked about it. I was like, you know, we could start a whole new show of just like the stuff I do on the side and the places I go eat and the people, because you do, you meet these people. We have a lot of locals that we hire no matter where we go. And it's kind of one of the cool things. And so, um, you know, you're, you're in the outskirts of, uh, Spain and, or, you know, wherever it, it's like you, you get these locals like, okay, take me to your spot. Yeah, and you exactly. go meet these mom and pop places and these restaurants and these chefs and, and they're so excited to kind of show you what they're doing. And, it, and it's amazing. Yeah. That's, you know, what is, um, what is, you know, this is just a quick question. I'm sure people would be curious to know what is your favorite type of wine to drink? If you were, you know, you're, you're going to have not, not just one bottle. Let's say you're going to have a few bottles because that, that to me is a different choice, right? I'm going to have yeah. to drink a few of these bottles. What, what is your sort of drinking wine? 
at the end of the day, if if you if you said you're on a deserted island, you can only have one wine for yeah. an, a, an unbelievable killer Napa cab. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when I I'll taste everything around the world, and I love I do I, I have an appreciation and love of everything, but when you have just a stellar Napa cab that you know it's about 10 years old it's just perfect there's nothing beats it as soon as you open it you smell it i'm like okay i'm home this is it this is all i want (laughs) just wrap me in a blanket um that that is that's the go-to and then and again i do i love so many others and and i'll get on these other kicks for a while that i come back and i'm like wow you just can't beat it yeah there's nothing like a good it's really the body of it right i'm assuming a good body you know um luckily well luckily i've had the chance to meet so many vintners and so many winemakers and i've become good friends with a lot of these people and 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 so have some and when you're here in california you just have access you know it's it's like being over in europe and you can get any kind of whiskey for twenty dollars you know we have such great access to wines that my friends in texas just don't get so they come out here and start drinking stuff and they're like this is unbelievable <laughs> um, and, and so it's it, the the access out here is pretty awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I guess it starts there, right? Getting the access to it. Um, you know, I had a quick question uh, for you, Chris. Like, I'm curious what type of food. Not to bring it back to the Bachelor, I do want to talk more about you know your your background. But I'm curious what they eat on the Bachelor and what they drink on the Bachelor. Like, that's what I, I was watching. I'm thinking, what what is going on behind the scenes here? Like, is there a chef, a private chef in-house that sort of makes them whatever they want? I don't know if you could call it a chef as much as catering. Uh, okay. you know, we, we, <laughs> but, but really what we do is we leave them to their own devices for the most part. Uh, oh, really? Day, in, day out, we have a shopping list that we keep and, and they put what they want and bacon and eggs and turkey and whatever. And so um, they're hmm. kind of left to their own devices. That's kind of part of this thing. If you're living with 20 people, you have to figure it out. Now, when, once we hit the road, um, essentially we set up buffets for everybody and they do room service or whatever. But, you know, Got the only time we really have catering is on the big rose ceremony nights, we'll bring in a crew that kind of has this rotating catering thing going in the kitchen. And it's a bit of a cocktail party, but um, day in and day out, it's kind of up to you. That's the dynamic we want in the house is, okay, who's going to emerge as the cook? Who's going to emerge as the person that cleans? Who's the person that doesn't do anything? Yeah. Um, and, what, <laughs> and, and what kind of social dynamic does that create? Interesting. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I honestly would have never thought that. I just would assume there's probably one chef or somebody in there that's cooking for him. But yeah, that, that actually makes a lot more sense to, to see what, what they're going to do and how they do it. Have, has anybody like caused fires, you know, burning stuff in the oven? And that's what I imagine happening. I mean, yeah, there's been plenty of burning <laughs> stuff or leaving stuff on the stove or what, but luckily nothing, tra- you know, too traumatic and yeah. dramatic yet as far as, you know, grease fires or anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, this, the house we shoot in is, is an actual house and I actually know them. They're friends of ours. Um, and so this is a huge, big old kitchen in a real house. And so, I mean, they're really just living their lives. I, that's what I would be most excited about if I was in that house. What an amazing kitchen. That's the first thing I check out in anybody's house, the kitchen. Right. What's going on? I live around my kitchen. I mean, I don't even, I, if I, we could put a bed in there, I never leave it, to be honest with you. I just love my kitchen. So, yeah, that's, a, man, that's amazing. Um, I was definitely curious about that. Um, you know, Chris, I was wondering as far as, you know, there's obviously this whole you know, pandemic happening in the world right now and, um, you know, it's affecting a lot of lives. I, and I know it's affecting a lot of industries and it, it definitely your industry as well. Um, I'm curious how the show is going to move forward with this, you know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really the million dollar, actually the hundred million dollar question. Um, yeah. Right now, you know, California is, it's opening. I mean, we're, 
I will say as, as crazy as the politics has been and all that, Gavin Newsom, the governor, you know, they shut things down. They definitely flatten the curve and all that, all those catchphrases. And it is opening back up, which is good. Uh, maybe a little slower for everybody than, than what we want, but it is getting there. And so the industry is kind of taking its cues from, you know, the restrictions. And L.A. County, which is where Hollywood is, which is where we shoot, is the tightest of all these. And uh -huh. so it's a little bit difficult. It's kind of like saying you're going to shoot in New York City. Well, that's the epicenter. You know, if we were in Texas, Florida, you know, Georgia, any of these other countries or states, you might have a little easier time. It's just been slow. I think, you know, if you had to, you know, bet, I think we'll be back mid late summer we'll get going again um, i think the bachelor will be one of the first shows back because i just think we're able to we're not on a lot we're not in a studio we can i think we're a little bit more fluid and, and pliable as far as how we shoot where we shoot how many people are there um so i think you know we're able to probably test and quarantine in a certain way a little more than than most shows would so hopefully we will be leading the way and get back as soon as possible but I mean, it's it's a little early to tell, but that's right. kind of the feeling of it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, well, that's good. I'm sure fans are going to be super excited to, to hear that. Um, I know you have there's a special coming out in a couple weeks or a week and a half or so. Right. Um, is that because is that special that way because of what's happening? Yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty much going to hopefully take the place of the Bachelorette. We would have been done with the Bachelorette by now, and it would be hitting the airs with Claire. But obviously, that was that plug was pulled, and we're waiting to do that. And so we we came up with this idea of, you know, people were clamoring for content, and and they really haven't seen a lot of our old seasons. We've been on for eighteen years, so a lot of people, like you said, just weren't born yet. Yeah, uh, they haven't seen kind of <laughs> what I call the Mount Rushmore of Bachelor shows. So we thought, let's create the most unforgettable ever where we, it's almost like a podcast where we're going to bring an entire season, just pack it into one three hour show. I'm going to host it. We're going to talk to people that were a part of that show. Um, like Sean Lowe from, from Dallas, that season was epic. You know, Jason Mesnick, um, back to Trista, our first bachelorette and Alex, our first bachelor. Oh, wow. People were going to see the show was really wow. different back then. It was yeah. slower. <laughs> Obviously our clothes were different. Everything was so different. So people, you know, but I think if you did it, if you showed the entire show like normal over six weeks, 10 weeks, I don't know if it would hold the interest because it's not the same type of show you're watching now. But I think if we pack it all in and it's kind of bite sized for everybody, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Oh, gosh, people are going to flip over. It's a great way to bring people back to the catalog of content, you know, like you said. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So basically every episode will be one season. Exactly. Every episode is going to be one season. Wow. We may, you know, combine a couple of seasons sure. if, if it works that way. But, yeah, it's going to we're going to try and pack a whole season into one night. And then, you know, it's going to look like this. I mean, honestly, I'm going to yeah. be sitting by myself in front of a camera um, and you know, I'll take the golf clubs out and put in some roses. That's yeah. uh, it's, it's going to be, you know, kind of guerrilla, guerrilla shooting at its best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, all the shows are, are doing that right now, right? If you're watching, uh, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, right? Tonight show. Mm -hmm. My favorite is Conan O'Brien. Personally, I just love that guy. He's, he's hilarious. But, you know, those shows, right? Everybody's having to pivot and do this, right? Do the Zoom uh, sort of things. How, does, how do you think that that affects the industry and and do you think that maybe some of this will stick around even though you know what i mean moving forward well I, I think some things it's definitely going to impact the industry i think there is going to be um a lot of of 
network studios whatever that look at their production and look how how much fat there was and yeah. and realize there was you know 80 people shooting a show and and you've been doing it with five or three yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like wow. okay now does it look good no we're you know we're sitting in, our, in front of our own fireplaces <laughs> and you know no makeup lights and all that stuff so you know could we is there a happy medium there um, and that's where the unions are going to come in because the unions are going to fight. So it's going to be really interesting. There's going to be a big tug of war when we get out of this and how many people are going to try to belabor this and draw it out because you're getting around a lot of, of, of labor issues with this pandemic idea. So uh, it's really going to be interesting to see where we land. And it's, you know, probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but at any time when there is economic strife and drama, you know, in our, in, in our industry and probably everybody's, it gives you a chance to kind of cut some fat. Um, you know, people get, we, you know, like all of a sudden you have five assistants and you have this and you have this, and it's like people doing people's jobs on top of people's jobs. Like, okay, <laughs> let's bring it back down. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, my guess is the pendulum is going to swing a little bit and you know, how we shoot, where we shoot, how many people work at home do, you know, do the editors need to come in and sit or can they work at home like they are? Um, I think a lot of my friends are talking about, not just in my business, just like, do I need to be face-to-face -face in meetings anymore? Do I need to fly around the country? Do I need to do all the stuff I've been doing? Maybe not. Yeah, that's, you're right. That's probably the most interesting aspect to it. I, I've definitely seen a lot of articles here locally for the Austin commercial real estate. Again, people are already saying we're not even going to go back into offices. You know, we're going to ro work remotely. Uh, you even got some big... Um, Companies like Facebook and Shopify already saying they're they're going to start going remotely or at least 50 percent of their staff. So, yeah, that's definitely going to be um, interesting um, moving forward with it. Um, you know, I had a question about all the international um, bachelors that are, you know, get put all over the world. How, how involved are you with those? No, we're not. Um, we do. The, we do the American version and that's really it. What we do is we sell the brand and we sell the concept around the world. And that's what gets shipped to Australia, South Africa, all, all over the world. Um, I don't know, like 178 countries or whatever do the bachelor. Um, Holy cow. It's something crazy. And some wow. show ours, some show our version uh, in, in, in subtitles. And then, uh. you know, it'll be, it's, it's been bizarre. Like we were in, um, <laughs> I think we were actually in Spain and, and you'll turn on the TV and then randomly one of our old bachelorette, you know, shows is on from like 10 years ago. You're like, what in the world? <laughs> um, and so it's, it's really been bizarre, but that's happened on a number of occasions. And then some, you know, have our own version and it's fun to see the Chris Harrison of France or the, you know, version of, of that's hilarious. Know, in yeah. Russia. And so <laughs> every now and then we will help and we'll have um, producers come in and they'll watch like, you know, Bachelor Vietnam, and we'll have these Vietnamese producers come in and they'll sit and they'll watch and take notes. And a lot of times they'll ask me what I, you know, my, what I do and how can I can help. And then they take their notes and they go back and do their own version. It's been, uh, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, their take of it around the world. Absolutely. I mean, that has to be something you're so proud of. Um, you know, you, you started something so long ago, didn't know where it was going to go. And now it's become this glo literally a global uh, phenomenon, right? Like that's, that's amazing, man. I, I just love hearing your story. You know, 
soccer scholarship, right? Go and want to be a sportscaster. And then this opportunity just sort of blows up for you. I'm curious about soccer. Um, I did look, look that up. Are you still a soccer fan? Do you still watch a lot of soccer? I do. Yeah. When there is, and actually I was watching the Bundesliga the other day, um, you know, sitting there watching it with no fans. And uh, yeah. honestly, I, I don't mind. I don't mind. I, I love the game and I love watching it. So um, yeah, I, I followed the EPL. I'm a big Arsenal fan. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Arsenal. Yep. I, I, it's fun for me because I get to, again, travel the world and I've been um, good about it. As soon as I get to a city, I look up the schedule of, of where we are and I'm like, okay, I'm in Barcelona. I'm, I'm going to go see, you know, Barca play. And um, we actually shot at es Espanol, Espanol, their stadium there. Um, and, and we had the whole place to ourselves. It was just oh, unbelievable. My and I went to the, I went to the new camp wow. twice. I saw a league game and then I got to see uh, a, a, uh, a Champions League game. And then the next week we happened to be in Munich and I went and saw Bayern Munich play. And oh. so it's, it's been fun to travel around. We were in South Africa and it was funny that, so we're in Cape Town and they built this beautiful stadium for the World Cup. And, but South Africa had actually never played in that stadium. So for the first time they were going to play a friendly and it just so happened they were going to play the United States in a friendly the week we were in Cape Town. And so wow. I got in touch with U.S. soccer somehow and I said, hey, I can't tell anybody we're here, but I'm shooting the bachelor here. Can we, and so I walked to the team hotel and team USA was sitting there eating breakfast the day of the game. And I got a bunch of tickets for our crew and we went to the game, um, you know, and the Vuvuzelas were blowing and all that craziness. And um, so it's been fun to, to travel around the world and get to see it. I have a few of my buddies I played with in college and high school and they'll come visit me and we'll go see games and, and go to some of these matches. And it's, it's awesome. That's unbelievable. Wow. Um, I was actually in Spain when they won the World Cup in 2010. Wow. It was ridiculous. I mean, you talk about a celebration. Yeah. Oh, it was a spiritual experience. I mean, I literally had this, these old women kissing me and hugging me. I never met before. Right? Just coming up to me. It was like everybody was just kissing and hugging. And I was insane. I mean, people on their knees, like, it couldn't believe that it had happened. Like I've never seen anything like it since then. And you know what I mean? It was absolutely, they, you know, they, they call it the beautiful game. I grew up with it. And uh, you know, I, people go, Oh, Dallas, but Dallas <laughs> is actually a hot, was really a hotbed of youth soccer. And it had, Abs it still is right. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And it had one of the biggest youth tournaments in the world. Um, the Dallas cup, which I grew up playing in my whole life. And it was this international tournament. So, you know, the, teams from the Royal Navy and, and, and Mexico and all that started coming. And then it grew bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and now there's this super group where you have the Manchester United groups and the, whatever these, these clubs sitting there, their youth programs over. And so that's what I grew up on and around Dallas. And I used to go, there's this place called Bachman Lake, right, right below Love Field. And I would go because all the Mexicans would get together and they played soccer out there at Bachman Park. There's these pickup games. And I would go by myself. I was, you know, the only gringo there. And that's, I just wanted to get better. And these guys had some ferocious games. And I would go and you would just get the crap kicked out of you and just get beat up to death. But that's why I wanted to play with these guys. And as soon as you earn their respect, and then I started going more and more and I got to know everybody. And that's, I used to love going to these parks around Dallas and playing these games, these just pickup games. And that's how I cut my teeth. I couldn't play enough. I love the game. And it is it's this universal language. Wherever I go around the world, yep. that is a language everybody speaks. You can talk football. And, you, and then as soon as I can play football and, and you realize you can knock it around a little bit, people are like, oh, it's like a door. And, and you get to come in and, and all of a sudden you're friends with these people. So it's been a great kind of conduit to meeting people. 
Yeah, that's a wow. That's a great way to put it. Why? Why do you think? What makes soccer? You know, football. Like you said, that is what they call it in the rest of the world. Um, what? What are they? What makes it so popular like that? What? What do you think it is? Well, it was our it was our identity. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit like what the Dallas Cowboys meant to me as 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 a kid. That was my identity. I, I grew up under the the hat of Tom Landry and Charlie Waters and Roger yeah, Staubach. So wow, you know, yes. and it, that was just as it was as America and as Texas as you could get. That was our identity in Dallas. And as the Cowboys went, so went our mood. I mean, uh, you could tell on Monday morning, growing up in the 70s and 80s, if the Cowboys won or lost. Well. <laughs> you know, multiply that times a thousand. And that is what these cities eat, drink and sleep. And it is every city. It's every little city. And, it, and yeah, you go from these right. pub teams to these lower divisions all the way up to the Premier League. You know, we all know Liverpool and Manchester United. But when you go further and further down, every little city has a team. And that is your identity. It's your religion. Um, it's based around your religion in many places. And it's, you know, it's like the Catholics, the Protestants. And you know, and sometimes it hasn't been so pretty, but it, it is an identity <laughs> for your community. And so, you know, we have that to a certain degree with college football and, and NFL football, but it's not quite the same. Um, it's not that same passion that you get when you're overseas and you go to a, a true football game. I agree. Um, you know, my mom's uh, from Mexico City um, and I used to grow up you know, going to Mexico all the time to stay with my family down there. And we would always go to these games, right, all the time when I was a kid. And so I got immersed in it as a young kid. Now, I never picked up the sport just because I was horrible at it. Uh, but I definitely, everyone always thought I could play, right? Oh, you're half Mexican? You must be great at soccer. I'm, I'm like, I'm not. I'm the worst soccer player you ever met in your life. Uh, but I definitely enjoyed, I, I think what it was for me is being down in Mexico and I just go play with kids in the street. It's all we needed was a ball. Like it made it so simple and you didn't even need goals. We'd make goals out of whatever, right? Hit the wall, go in between this or whatever. I think to me, that's what made it, it makes it so popular to people. And like you said, it is a religion to these, you know. It's, and, and, it, and when people ask, you know, how can it become big in, in, in the United States and why hasn't it become big? And it yeah. was big. When I was a kid, the NASL was huge. We could see the Dallas Tornadoes. And we had what Colorado about the sidekicks? Remember Tattoo the and the sidekicks? Side yeah. And, of course. And it was packed in Reunion Arena. And I went all the time. But um, the MLS needs time. And that's something you can't buy. It, it takes time to build a brand and build loyalty. And it's finally getting there. If you go to, you know, the Seattle and Portland and Kansas City and um, you know, and, and these stadiums are being built for these teams and now there's a community for it. And now there's, and so, um, we're getting there. It's, it's, it's not something you can teach. It's not something you can buy. It's just, it, it's getting there. And yeah. I, I, I like that they have finally been patient enough in LA. Uh, the LA team is huge out here. Um, and there's two teams out here now actually, but they've really built oh, wow. a fan base and it is crazy. You go to a game, it is like going to a game overseas and they, and they brought in they actually brought in these hooligans um you know hooligans to teach <laughs> yeah. to teach the songs to teach the chants to, to create wow. this atmosphere and it's actually working it's they've actually done a really good job and so the mls is getting there and the quality of soccer had to get there too i mean when i started you know when the mls first began there were people i had even played against in, in college and high school and i'm like you had these level guys but then you had these level guys and so now you know, the rising tide is lifting all boats and we're all getting there where there's some really good competition going on. It's really great football that you're watching. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the talent pool. They might have to start pulling players from Europe. I don't know how, how upset that would make, you know, some American players who, who want the opportunity. But that's what happens in Europe, right? Everyone plays all over the place. Um, you know, you just sort of move around and try to build the best team you can. Um, so, yeah, ah, that's so yeah, that's so interesting. I do love the sport. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, Chris, um, I really do appreciate your time. I know you have to go, but I do want to end on a couple of things, Texas. So I, I think our listeners and our viewers, and me in particular, would definitely like to know, let's just, like, what, what's your favorite Texas food to eat? Like, you know what I mean? You, you're just craving. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, between Tex-Mex and between, because you, you, you don't get Tex-Mex out here in California. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Um, for some reason, people tell, oh, I have this great place, Casa Vega, or I have this great place in Ventura. You don't. You don't have a good Mexican place. So stop it, California. I you love don't. it. I love now, it. what we do have is amazing, like, shrimp and street tacos and, and that kind of – it is very um, Baja, northern Mexico. It's just a different vibe. It's very bland, um, more seafood involved. But you don't get Tex-Mex. And so when I come home – it's the, the basics, the fajitas, chips, and queso, and, and I just, oh, it's, yeah. it, to me, it's a food group. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a, big barbe- <laughs> I'm a big barbecue guy. I love to cook. I love to smoke. Um, they do tri-tip out here. Again, that's not a barbecue guy. Stop it. Um, you know, when you ask for a brisket, people look at you like, what's brisket? So <laughs> I, I love my brisket. I love my ribs. I love to smoke. I, I love all that. And so, you know, my buddies and I, we would you know, get our Texas monthly and we would, instead of wine tours, we would take our, our barbecue tours and we would go find all the great, you know, stops and whether it's Black Snows and, you know, obviously Franklin's you've been to at La Barbecue, we found many years ago and you follow these pit masters around and I've become friends with some of them too. And um, it's that to me, the culture, the barbecue culture in Texas, especially around Austin yeah, is unlike anywhere in the world. And I've, I've done the Carolina barbecue is what is what sets texas food and austin food apart i mean yeah tex-mex is fun and all that but there's a culture around barbecue and and um and obviously it goes back to the germans and how it came into existence and it's fascinating um to see what it's become and yeah it's been bastardized and commercialized like everything else kind of like south by southwest used to be cool when i was in high school yeah it's just not anymore as soon as justin timberlake (laughs) and jay-z showed up you're like okay this is garbage (laughs) but the the barbecue culture has still remained cool and yeah there's still there there are some people that sold out but there's still some great little barbecue spots that you can go find Absolutely. You know, the, the, the reality is like if you live here in Austin, for instance, like you're a citizen, right? You live here. You're really not going to Franklin's or no. these places, right? You're going to these little food trucks that you found that, that serve just the most amazing stuff, right? It just like will blow your mind away. You're absolutely right. It's an absolute culture here. And it's, yeah, there's a good one. And I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Leroy and Lewis here in Austin. They are amazing. If you're ever here, uh, they're off of South Congress. They will, you'll hear about them in the next year or two. So this is sort of under the radar. They're amazing. Leroy and well, it's, it's funny. Cause I, so last time, I mean, many, many, many years ago, there, you know, we were traveling around and um, my buddy said there was this place called La Barbecue. Yeah. And, and it was this small little food truck in this dirt lot. And, uh, but what's funny is I met this guy, um, this guy, Cameron, who, who's from Provo, Utah. And, and he actually came out of the truck because he recognized me from The Bachelor. And, and we have become good friends. He owns a place called Bam Bam's Barbecue in Provo, Utah by BYU. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I just came here to learn from the best and to make sure I was doing what 
everybody's doing and, and, and take these tricks back oh. home. And um, so the, you know, it's funny that, you know, it's like vintners and winemakers, they come into Napa Valley, the best of barbecue has now come into Austin and they take it and, and they take it back to their own places. And so it's, it's fascinating. Anytime I'm back in Austin, that's, there's a day where I just, you know, get some barbecue. You got to get uh, your brisket, yeah. get your ribs, <laughs> yeah. you know, and now beef ribs have kind of become a thing, obviously, but I, it's still to me, brisket is the crown jewel. I agree. If you can do brisket and ribs. That is, that's, that's what you got to be able to do well. I agree. Um, I actually worked briefly with Aaron Franklin and um, he, he taught me how to cut a brisket. And I remember the first time I cut it in front of him, you know, he gives me the brisket. I go to <laughs> slice it and he just looks at me and he goes, don't ever do, do, do it like that again. He said, yeah, he goes, don't ever do it like that again. I said, okay. I, I didn't, I didn't even realize I've been cutting brisket my whole life. I didn't realize yeah. there was this actual special way. And there is Such man. A special. He grabs well, it a certain way. You got to grab it. I mean, yeah, there's just this whole, it was crazy. It's crazy. People, people say, you know, when you talk to these pit masters, you're like, okay, you know, what is it? There is no secret, like, you know, like salt and pepper and heat, you know, low and slow. They, they all say they do the same thing which is such BS because it's, it is, it's the way you cut it. It's yes. the way you do this. It, it's the yes. type of heat. It's where the heat is. Yes. It's the type of wood. It's the mixture of the wood. There's so many things that go into wow. it. Like that. They're like, no man, salt and pepper. And then you know, you're like, <laughs> you know, keep it at 225 for 12 hours. And I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. Wow, you, did, like, you do know like stuff. Shoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you do you do know your stuff, Chris. That's absolutely no, I, do. Right. I, I yeah. like to play around and, and I I love to smoke and I'm my I will say my brisket, my ribs are damn good. Wow. Um, and, and I like to try different ways of, of doing it, but you're right, you know, the, the quality of meat, what you get, how it's cut. Um, and now you can, you know, you can go online and see how these guys cut it. And you're like, Oh my gosh, yeah. like, yep. that's insane. It's like all about said, the aerodynamic, right? Like that's what I learned from Aaron was, was just the aerodynamic of the cut. You've got to make it to where the smoke moves around the brisket in just a certain way. And I had never thought of that. I don't think right. anybody had ever taken that approach to brisket before he did that, to be honest with you. And then you're getting that perfect red ring around the meat. Exactly. And it's, all, it's, that and it's a real that. smoke ring. It's not a fake one. Yeah. Right? You, there are exactly. fake smoke rings, which is crazy that uh, that that happens, and it happens to steaks too. They do the same thing to yeah. steaks to give the well, impression. Dallas that... has gotten good; it hasn't gotten great. Um, I mean, there's yeah. plenty of good barbecue places in Dallas, and I yes. know Pecan Lodge blew up when I was younger, um, and they turned from a food truck into an actual brick and mortar and something. But yeah, it's just there's really you know Lockhart is great. There's some really good places in Dallas, but not like. It's just not like Austin. It's just, again, it's not in the blood. It's not in the soil of, of yeah. the people. And so um, if you really want it, you got to, you got to go to that. You got to go down to Austin. I agree, man. That's, that's absolutely, you know, what you got to do. Well, look, Chris, I'm, I, you know, gosh, I, I just can't tell you what, what a great conversation we had. I really appreciate all the time you took to, uh, to talk to us and, um, you know, talk to us about food and uh, probably some other things maybe you don't even get to talk about. So yeah, exactly. Uh, well, yeah. And, and, and just let me say, don't, don't be mad. You know, I know people get pissed off when the Californians invade. Don't be mad if I come back to Austin. Okay. Like <laughs> I, I, st- I started, I started there. Okay. I still we want you home. here. We okay. want you here. Trust <laughs> me. Um, you know, I, I'm curious what, what, uh, any things that you have uh, going on in the future? I know you said you have a brewery uh, that you're a part owner of. Are there any other sort of brands or something that you're, you know, got coming out or anything else that you have? Well, that one right there. Uh, I have a D- I did a collaboration with Seagram's uh, Escapes Tropical Rosé. Seagram's Escapes and I came together and we built this uh, brand and, and it's 
Tropical Rosé, it's out around the country now. This light, refreshing, 100-calorie drink, carbonated, perfect for, you know, cruising around. Oh, yeah. Cake, cruising around by the pool. It's phenomenal. So I've been doing that. Um, and, you know, obviously the Bachelor's a bit, you know, is my baby, and that usually keeps me going 24-7. <laughs> um, but I do. I, have, I, I love the side projects. And, um, and I, I have a senior in high school who uh, my son is going to TCU next fall. So I got, oh. got one heading back to Texas. And, oh. um yeah, I'm really proud of him, and it's been tough for these these uh the senior class of 2020. Oh God, right? It's, it's a beating. I feel bad for oh, him. Oh man, he plays lacrosse, and so spring sports oh, was canceled. No. He didn't get to have his senior year. Oh. Um, but he's had great perspective, and he's you know he's he's going to graduate, and he's going to go to TCU, become a Horned Frog, and uh, so I'll be seeing people in Fort Worth a lot uh, more next fall as well. Come uh, hopefully, knock on wood, come football season. <laughs> Absolutely, wow, TCU. Yeah, you're right. Uh, 2020 graduates um just a, a horrific uh time uh so yeah my 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 best to your son i i hope um you know he's able to celebrate in some other way probably get creative with his friends right come up yeah, with another way this, i think this generation of kids they, they're probably more well equipped to handle this than any generation because they're so used to being online and hanging out with their friends digitally and virtually i think they're like yeah that's Not a good so point. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a great point. You're right. If it would have happened to us, right? I graduated oh, in, in '98. Right. I would have had a, a meltdown, probably. Uh, you know, <laughs> a total meltdown. Um, so yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Well, good. Uh, so Seagreams, uh, Seagrams. I'm sorry, Seagrams. I don't know why I said that. Seagrams Tropical Rosé. Uh, that sounds great by the pool. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to Walmart's Total Wines. Uh, if you have GoPuff in your area, you can order it online. They'll bring it to your door. Um, oh. So you know, all all the major stores. Uh, go, yeah, go check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Um, again, Chris, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I hope you get to enjoy the rest of your uh, Memorial Day. Get out and do something fun today. I know I am. Yeah, well, happy Memorial Day to everybody. And uh, hopefully everyone will take just a second to remember what it's all about. And God bless those that paid the ultimate price so you and I could sit here and have a silly conversation like this. God bless everybody who serves our country. Absolutely. I, I agree. My father was uh, in the Air Force. So 100 percent, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, so again, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and talking to us about everything. Um, we really do appreciate it. And we'll be looking forward to this, uh, summer season of, you know, highlights, like you said, the Mount Rushmore of the bachelor seasons on Mondays, the right? Most unforgettable ever. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you again, Chris. Enjoy the rest of your world day. My best to you and your family and, uh, stay safe out there. How about you? Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, I really hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to email the podcast at patrick at texasrealfood.com. Um, and don't forget, you can check us out on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, all the different places you can get podcasts, you'll, you'll find us on there. Or you can just go to our website, go to thelonestarplate.com and uh, you can find everything you need there, all the episodes. Um, and you can check us out on YouTube if you want to watch it. You know, we video these now, you know, on a little webcam here and do the Zoom stuff. And, um, you know, so if you feel like doing it that way, go to the Texas Real Food YouTube channel and you can find it there. Uh, make sure to follow uh, Texas Real Food as well on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe. Um, and if you, you know, are so inclined, please leave us a review anywhere you can. Um, 
you know, follow us on Spotify or leave a review on Apple podcast. Uh, that would really help us out uh, as well. So if you support, you know, what we're trying to do here. So thanks again for listening. Really do appreciate it. Um, without you guys, we will, you know, what's the point of doing this? Um, so if you have any suggestions on how we can make the show better, please let us know. All right. Thanks again. Be safe out there. Wash your hands.